Two episodes in a row in the middle, dropped smack in the middle of this season that just rocked me. These episodes are so good. This one was season four, episode seven, There Goes the Neighborhood. Sometimes I think I should be punished. That's a quote from Ron Zellman in this episode, season four, episode seven of The Sopranos, entitled Watching Too Much Television, with a teleplay by Terrence Winter and Nick Santora, and a story by David Chase, Robin Green, Mitchell Burgess, and Terrence Winter, directed by the legendary John Patterson. Whew! Uh, Yeah, this... Coming off the heels of Everybody Hurts, two different episodes, but both similar in a sense that they take a character that is perhaps even more way more peripheral than even Artie Bucco and even Artie Bucco I would put even though he's great as a C-tier character someone you don't see all that often yeah uh, they just had a whole episode with Ron Zellman at the center and this one really for lack of better expression really blew my nuts off guys this was <laughs> no pun intended uh, <laughs> this is a uh, this is a rough one in, in a lot of ways uh, but very good very good. Twice in a row, they've nailed it here. These uh, season four feels like it's gaining a discernible momentum at this point, and it's uh, this one was rough. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini, and I'm Jordan Hugh. And watching too much television. Overall impressions, first thoughts, first feelings upon conclusion of this. There is a pervasive feeling in American culture when we think about local politics or even state politics or frankly politics federal politics any politics where we feel like we can't get anything done we feel like there's no progress somehow we can't move the needle the wheel doesn't go on forward and one of the reasons for this um that we suspect is because there's just tremendous corruption and much of that corruption is linked to just there is so much graft that goes on in our politics too many people taking money they're not supposed to or exploiting loopholes or running scams. Um, and what these uh, corruptive elements begin to do is to incur a debt to society, right? They owe the people something. They, they owe them that the, they have to do the right thing eventually, right? That, that's the debt that's incurred, but it, it never is paid off. Uh, there's just more graft and more corruption and more people skimming from the top. But the interest on that debt is human suffering. And this show speaks directly to the heart of the matter of, you know, yeah, it's all fun and games in Tony's world until you stumble across the kind of plot that affects uh, everyday Americans and especially uh, disenfranchised Americans who are a part of minority groups, vulnerable, vul- vulnerable groups, in fact, are our most vulnerable citizens. So the kind of stomach churning that goes on in this episode goes back and forth between Adriana and the weight that's pressed upon her by a so-called legitimate government agency, and then also just the corruption and the graft and the cesspit that is this agency, you know, uh, the housing you know, industry in, in federal government that, that Tony seeks to defraud and exposes to us exactly what we know all along, that our conspiracy theories are totally justified and totally out in the open because these kinds of scams are sort of run all the time. And the great tragedy is that we are not surprised whatsoever. Very well said. This episode has often been a low-key favorite of mine. I don't know that it's necessarily better executed or better written or acted than any of the other ones, 
But I think because of the themes that Jordan brought up, having to do with society as a whole, having to do with maybe political as well as social implications, these larger social concerns that are brought in, I, I find very intriguing. But perhaps most intriguing is the, the particular Sopranos vibe where their own take, their own ironic take, their own darkly humorous take, even their cynical take has its own character and has its own mood. So there's very funny parts of this episode. There are brutally humiliating parts of this episode, of course. And it all adds up to a dynamism that I, I can't look away from, even though there are times that I might like to, mm. honestly. So overall, really well done. Um, and a great turn, particularly, um, I think Bondi Curtis Hall plays uh, Maurice, mm. who comes in. He's perfectly cast. Great yes. actor. And uh, Peter Regert really delving in. Uh, but then we've gone with Assemblyman Zellman, even though for me, Peter Regert always has been, always will be Boone from Animal House. They can't do that to up ledges. Only we can do that to up ledges. But uh, here he's <laughs> terrific. Uh, and speaking of humiliation and uh, prostration and the debt that is incurred, we'll come to that, I'm sure, in the final couple beats with that character. Mm. It's this one always strikes a nerve. And yes, I agree, Paul. When I think of season four, this is one of the episodes I always come back to in my head as a favorite. And like you said, on the surface, there's no major character deaths. It's not a monument. It's it's not so much of a departure from the rest of the episodes in the way that it's acted competently, written competently, directed competently. Everything about it is everything you would expect from a good mid-season Sopranos episode. But this one is one I always come back to. And certain season four episodes get lost for me when I think about the season as a whole, and some stick with you. And this one really sticks with me. And I think that's because, like you guys mentioned so articulately, there is the, the heart of what's going on in political America is really at play here. Because if you th- if you boil all the noise, all the nonsense, all the arguing down to its core, what most people are fighting about is what is the role of government? What is the role of the state? What is the role of these institutions? How much pull they should have? How much influence they should have? How powerful they should be? What functions should they serve? How do we fund them? How how much do we fund them? How little do we fund them? And do people have the trust in these institutions? And so... This is a particularly cynical take on the whole thing, because I think, as Jordan said, a lot of Americans, I think, on both on all sides of the political spectrum, feel a certain sense. A, a character that we're going to discuss a lot in this episode, Maurice, describes the describes it as shoveling shit against the tide. And it's not the most eloquent or original way to describe it. But that's how it feels sometimes in American politics, that you're just the tide is coming for all of us and everything we're doing is just shuffling dirt from one leak to the next and we're never really fixing the problem yeah so this episode really takes these characters in this world that we've come to know so well and explores these themes and shows that maybe uh, what is i i don't know what the political answer to these problems are but i do know that uh, would the world be better or worse without this hud program i don't know 
what happens because it does get pilfered and 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 in theory it sounds like a great idea you're developing houses that need it in neighborhoods that are underserved for people who need quality housing but at the same time look at the misery this causes because greedy selfish people are able to scam it jam it up ruin it and subvert its very intent so this is the core ideological argument in america's i think the more conservative people would say scrap the whole thing the more liberal people would say we need to fix this and make it serve the people it's actually intended to serve. And both of those answers seem kind of aloof and, and unaddressed in when you see the reality of this scam. Yeah. And by the way, this is one of the most sickening scams I think we've seen on the show yet, to be, to, to be quite clear. Sure. But doing a little light research here, it is a totally accurate depiction of this kind of scam. And this kind of thing happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this particular scam in this episode was based on uh, apparently several real scams that had gone down just like this right around the time this was happening. And we know just living in our world, we're still dealing we're still dealing with this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to move on into the actual plot of the episode. Otherwise, I'm just going to get real pissed right now and we'll just <laughs> getting anchored here. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's more fucking programs for these deadbeats, I swear to God. <laughs> uh, great line that Ruffy has in the episode where these guys work very hard at this scam. Yeah. Let's let's right, take yeah. it. There's so many programs for these deadbeats. Exactly. It, the reason the programs don't work is because what you fucking people are doing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's directed not just at the gangsters, but at the political class that enables it. Well, right. well about- they're even worse. Hey, Chris, we have to get into the episode. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get crazy on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, And we'll be able to address it more in depth as we get to the actual nuts and bolts of it. But let's get into it. We'll start with something that's a little more fun. Paulie's homecoming. Uh, it's nice to see Paulie out- outside of an orange jumpsuit. I got to say his absence. I don't want to say has hampered the show, but it's his presence has been missed, in my opinion. In the last several episodes, I've, I've missed sure. having Paulie around. Uh, he had the, the actor, Tony Sirico, I believe, had some kind of back surgery going on at this time. And I, uh, my philosophy, my, my, my hypothesis is they shot all his jail stuff in like a day or two. And then um, he was out for the first half of the season. But he's back and he comes in. Paulie's homecoming. He's here at the Bing. Everybody's assembled. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> moment where they play a song they take a long lingering beat on paulie's very moved and he goes my song and they greet him and and then they cut to bobby the fuck was this his song (laughs) great observation uh why is that his song that's a song about uh you know loving your child and having a great relationship with them or Mm. paulie has no such attachments as Mm -hmm. he will brag happily in this episode Mm. This is another, I don't know if this is deliberate, but it seemed almost like the the show's writing is reflecting how Polly, quite frustrated at being eased aside. This opening is about his homecoming, and then this episode isn't about him. Yeah. He's got one or two scenes, sure. in one of which he's a mere functionary. They actually kind of shit on him. <laughs> because he's not married you don't want to end up like uncle jr or worse Polly. yeah um so i thought that was interesting uh that the, there's this fanfare set up but we don't get any more we don't find out why this song uh you know mm. but that but that is very funny i like that moment and 
Yeah, you're right, Paul. The, the Paulie's journey in this episode is, I mean, you can barely call it a D plot, I would guess at this point, but uh, he, he touches down a couple times, but you see it and he's here and he's back old wing head. And um, Brian is uh, Brian, you idiot. <laughs> back from college. <laughs> Brian, you beautiful idiot. Just shut the fuck up. Um, interesting though, that Brian is getting pulled into Tony's orbit more and more here. This is uh Carm's cousin. He, I mean, he's a, by all intents and purposes, he's presented as a legitimate financial advisor but uh you know he's 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 in he's sampling the wares as we see in short order uh he's just tony looks over as the party commences and brian is just surrounded by strippers taking shots off of their breasts he's he's being pulled into the bada bing lifestyle here paulie is complaining already ranting to tony about his fucking bills and keeping ma in the retirement home and Tony says, Paulie, you've been out for 30 seconds already. You're going on about this. I just handed you, a, he just handed him an envelope full of cash, not to mention the no-show jobs. Paulie, of course, you're right, Tom. Puts it aside for now. Enjoy the party. But we know that Paulie is aggrieved. This has been building since the end of season three when that sit-down went against him with Ralphie, his tensions with Ralphie, being jealous of Ralphie. We're going to touch back down on Paulie later, but not uh, not good. Cut to Adriana watching TV. Does anyone know what this show or movie she's watching is? I couldn't pinpoint. It. I didn't have time to check it out. But anyone know what this is? I think it's called. It's one of the late '90s. Sh- it's like called Murder One. I think. Hmm. Um, you know, kind of a format like Law and Order. And that tall, bald actor who played a slimy lawyer in every legal drama of the 1990s is in it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, the point of it is, and she's watching it wrapped. I love the slow pushing we get on her face as she's watching this unfold, is that the character in the in the show is being called to testify against the defendant, and she refuses to answer on the stand because there's rules about testifying against your husband. Cue the dramatic music. Uh, they pull the court out of session and, hey, you know, they're married. You can't do that. She's trying to subvert the marital privilege, the marital privilege. Adriana, you can see the gears turning. She's thinking, ooh, is this an out? She's looking for any way out of this. I just want to mention, I just want to mention uh, Adriana, both in this scene and previous scenes. She's watching the kind of TV you can only watch if you're deeply depressed. There is oh, nothing yeah. particularly compelling about anything she's been watching. I think it's just she's made a similar to Tony with food or Chris with the drugs or frankly, her with drugs now, too. She's just kind of made a habit of like, how do I get through this depression? I, I don't want to live my life. I'm just going to sit in front of TV and watch whatever is on. And mm-hmm. that is what she is watching. It, it's, it reminds me of like when you're uh, a kid and you're sick and you're home and it's not the kind of things you'd want to be watching, but you're like, I don't feel well. Fuck. I guess I'm watching three hours of what is this? Price is right. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point, Jordan. I was thinking of that with respect to, in particular, the last few, since the beginning of this season, Chris has been regularly using drugs. And now for the last couple episodes, it seems like it's become a more regular part of Adriana's life. In the last episode, in this episode, yeah. we see nothing of Adriana at the club, at work. So she's in this depressed space also like in terms of how regularly she's been using drugs how clear is her thought process 
which isn't that sharp to begin with. Sorry, Adriana. So how 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 baked are these ideas, I guess, is what. Uh, totally, Paul. And and also had this thought, uh, perhaps related to her depression as well. I, I saw the scene. I was like, OK, Adriana is going to get in her head that she won't have to testify against Chris if they're married. She's going to think of this as an escape. We know as adult people living in the world that that's not always true, right? That the marital privilege only extends so far. We know that even before seeing this Sopranos episode, somehow she doesn't know that. And I thought, oh, is this little faux pas that the script is making for a second where it's just like, oh, yeah, we're going to kind of lean on this convention. But actually, it's totally legitimate because the truth is Adriana doesn't have friends. Mm. She has no one that she can run this by first who would really correct her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like her whole world is Chris yep. and watching TV at home. What a horrible world she's living in. Well, and any chance she had of potentially gaining a friend went out the window with this FBI business. Right. Which she, has only she, hampered her ability to trust even further. Correct. She was already isolated. And what, what you're not going to bring anybody new into your world after that. She, she goes to work, does a, enough drugs to get through the shift comes home, watches a bunch of TV and, and lives for Chris. That's her life right now. In between very, being harassed very by the Very bad situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cut to Brian passed out on the stage. <laughs> I love Brian. this. Brian. What? <laughs> Brian. I don't know what brought him on that stage or what happened there, but I just love that that's where he ended up sleeping for the night. Where are my pants? This is his first line getting up. <laughs> so funny. Tony sits up on the upper balcony. Everyone's Ralph's coming out of the men's room. Uh, his mouthwash and shit in the back. We'll go get breakfast. I bet I'll go with you. So Ralphie, Brian, and Tony are going to the diner. They're there. They're talking. Any advice? Ralphie asks Brian, buy land. God ain't making any more of it. That's a line that's going to be repeated later in the episode. All in all, not bad advice. But then he starts talking about, somebody mentioned something about, I think Ralphie says, otherwise you want to make sure you buy the right stuff. Otherwise you end up with shit. And Brian says, well, sometimes there's money and shit. And then he mentions this scam he heard about where you get a squeaky clean front man to buy up a bunch of shit houses for, I don't know, $100,000, which, by the way, is not cheap for many people. But anyway, it's <laughs> you get a front man to buy them for $100,000. And then HUD puts the money into the houses to develop them, except, and then we cut out, get the shot of them from outside the diner while the specifics of the scammer glossed over. But Tony and Ralphie, you have their, there's money in shit. Oh, you have our attention is the energy coming from Tony and Ralph at that moment. Don't you know us? We're in waste management, recycling. This is what we do. Yeah. So we're going to come back to this in short order. Yeah. This is literally like, there could be nothing more appealing to these guys. Turning trash into treasure is their business. Mm-hmm. So Furio is out in the car looking at photos of the housewarming party. What a scene this is. Mm. Yeah. Right? Do you know before this episode, maybe I've been naive. Before this episode, I kind of thought Carmela's feelings for Furio were totally one-sided. Mm. I, I really hadn't, as a viewer, I had not really entertained that he might also really like her too. I had thought like, okay, clearly she's got passionate feelings for this guy. It's obvious, you know, it's, it's right there in the narrative. I I think maybe I have not been as sensitive to Furio as I should have been. He's a hard character to read at times. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I design. I, I yeah, I guess there's more there than I thought that he actually does like the attention she puts forth. Mm. Well, he is lonely, and like Adriana, in a, in a twisted sense, he he kind of lives for you know he doesn't have any friends over here. He lives. He's on twenty four hour call for Tony. He's driving Tony now. Every time we see Furio this season, he's driving Tony. Yeah, he doesn't have much going on, and Carmela seems to have had some kind of instinct. I worry about Furio. He's lonely. Yeah, but he, I think he is lonely. And this woman very clearly, I mean, Carmela is past the point where there's any, but at least between that and Tony hasn't noticed anything, but Carmela's past the point where she's being particularly subtle about this. Although she's not crossing a line, she is being very flirty, very friendly, inviting him in for coffee all the time. So Furio is feeling something. He looks at the pictures and while Tony is inside with Ralph and Maurice and Zellman, we'll get to it, but he takes off his sunglasses puts him in the glove compartment and calls Carmela. And the excuse is, I left my sunglasses somewhere. Can't find them. There it is. Confirmation achieved. And he mentions uh, there's a pretty picture of you in there. Carmela stops. Oh, that's sweet. So this is something. This is something here. These two, this, is, this is officially, in my opinion, this scene marks, we are officially in dangerous territory with this now. Yes, the, um, the pictures are from his housewarming party right mm-hmm. and so now maybe he's wondering about like i mean he's in that he's got that house it's high space it's just him right so he's alone mm-hmm. there um as you guys said the vibe again furio federico castellucci is only going to give you so much so i think the lonely vibe and the yearning is also expressed by the rainy vibe of course he doesn't need any sunglasses in this weather um Mm. and this is all very well executed uh yeah so as jordan pointed out now this is coming around and we're seeing this more from furio's perspective and uh as you said chris where that that means it's getting that much more dangerous yeah this isn't some silly crush this is now reciprocated affection and there's nowhere good for that to go in this particular scenario. Maurice, Zellman, Ralphie, and Tony are inside the sauna steam room. They're talking out the they're they're getting to know each other. Maurice and Zellman go back a ways. They're college buddies. Uh, they get to know who this guy is. Maurice he runs a nonprofit, the Urban Housing League. A political friend of Zellman's, a actual friend of Zellman's. They came up together, and. Uh, their housing league has fallen under hard times. Quote, Republican administration plus proliferation of other nonprofits post 9-11. So they're looking for the <laughs> tell me if this feels familiar in our current moment. There are so many problems <laughs> that need fixing. None of them can get the amount of attention they need. So <laughs> his uh, his housing league has fallen under hard times. Yeah. And they go under the, they go into the particulars of the scam. The long and short of it is Dr. Freed, who we've met before, the penis implant doctor, a friend of Tony's, goes to the executive games, <laughs> is going to buy these houses off of Freeland Heising on uh, Garside Street. I know I've actually drove past that area just last week. And in a sad twist of fate, the neighborhood's not looking much better, I got to say. Uh, that aside, yeah, Dr. Freed's going to buy up these houses for cheap. Tony and Ralphie have an appraiser who's going to come in after Freed buys them for about a hundred thousand, appraise them at double their actual worth. At which point Freed sells to Maurice's company, uh, 
Maurice goes to HUD, gets money to develop them for working class black families, underrepresented minority groups in, in Newark, people who could really benefit from having a home in, an, in that neighborhood. And then all of a sudden, just because of the environment, the, the neighborhood elements, construction delays, whatever, the project goes into dissolution, they whack up the money. As Jordan mentioned, this is a scam that has happened in various different forms with some little tweaks here and there over the years. But this is, uh, this is gross. This is predatory, but it's laid out pretty well here. And they all seem, they're all in on it. It's like, yeah, this sounds good, guys. Let's get this done. Tony leaves when they start discussing the actual particulars. He's, again, very cautious, goes out to start changing. I love the vibe here. I love that it's in a Russian bath. I love that these guys are finding these friendly terms. Uh, Tony and Maurice connecting over history yeah how they actually all lived fairly close as mm. we were talking about in the last episode the fascinating quality of the tri-state area these different people living close together uh i looked it up anthony imperiali was a real guy mm-hmm. the white knight of newark inspired cleansman some of those books and uh yeah it almost feels like these the two guys on the different sides of the war from Iceman cometh they're coming back and trading the old war stories. And they had all these different views years ago. And as Maurice is later talking about the revolution, now they're whacking up this money. It's a it's a scam. It's pretty grim. And yet I still found myself kind of uh, chortling at uh, Tony and Maurice getting along and talking yeah. about the shy lights. Yeah. Yeah, there's a certain pleasant air about this. They're discussing a scam. That's that, and again, that's the Sopranos. That's most complex. Is there is something familiar and likable about these people? Uh, it, this guy Maurice seems like someone who's at least comes off like he means well. That's what's so depressing about it too is that he has a trustworthiness to him, and the kinds of characters he usually plays are not scamsters, tricksters, criminals. He usually plays upstanding working class kind of characters journalists good cops like you know he, he he's a character you can a character actor you can pull for uh and again as we know from previous characters that the sopranos pulled in that's they like to go for that casting uh vin vin mckazian the way they cast vin mckazian sure and, yeah yeah they love to take actors who have a certain persona and work against it because that's how life is you never know who you're actually talking to or dealing with sometimes and good people get sucked into shitty things. That's another thing that that they keep coming back to. Sure, yeah. I, I always enjoyed the... the uh, Is the actor's name Robert Patrick? Is that his name? Robert Patrick, Davies Scatino, yeah. Yeah, Davies Scatino, who uh, seems like he's cool and collected and has it all together. That's why you cast Robert Patrick as anything. But then the guy folds like cardboard, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so <laughs> they exit the sauna. Tony's already almost dressed. Ralph has this hilarious throwaway line who wants to soak my back (laughs) (laughs) oh ralph uh and uh, the shy lights are playing he and tony and maurice talk a little bit about the shy lights bond over the song the best tony seems pretty amicable here and um then zelman comes up and uh drops this bit of knowledge here uh, remember, uh, <laughs> my God, <laughs> yeah, at a function in Atlantic City, Zelman met Arena. They 
she called him after they broke up. One thing led to another, and yeah, I'm seeing her. Okay. Boy, boy oh boy. <laughs> For all, yeah, Tony seems to take it in stride here. <laughs> She's a sweet Ron, girl. Ron, Ron, listen to me, buddy. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, I think he uh, had a lapse in at judgment. First, at first, Tony's taken aback. Like, yeah. What the fuck? Uh, then that song starts playing, by the way. Mm-hmm. And once the song starts playing, Tony actually begins anyway by talking about her in when Zellman still wants to, he wants to make everything all right with Tony. Tony talks about her in more generous terms. She's a great girl. That song's getting to maybe a little sentimental. But then immediately he's back onto how she's a little needy. Frankly, I'm glad to have her off my payroll. Has this emotional, sentimental oscillation already begun? I mean, because by oh, the yeah. end, we know what the song will, that sentiment will induce. Mm. And I'm going to be a real man here for a second. Yeah. This is a, a letter to Ron Zellman. Ron <laughs> Zellman, listen, buddy. There are many women in the world, many, more than men, many, many women. <laughs> You're a man of some influence. And I, I think for your age, good looking guy. Charming, charismatic. Please have sex with someone else. <laughs> don't choose that girl. I don't care if sparks were flying. It doesn't have to do with her age, nothing like that. God bless you. Be with who you want. As long as it's legal, consenting adults and all that, great. Don't pick Irina. Please, God, don't pick Tony Soprano's ex-girlfriend. What 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 are you doing? conceivably how could you ever think this was okay oh my god ron zellman what are you doing buddy just anybody else precisely what tony communicates to him at the end yes in certain right? terms yes yeah the, 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 the heart also wants what the dick wants is the quote i believe yeah correct oh my god ron zellman wow i i think other than intentola the stupidest character ever on the sopranos <laughs> I think truly really, he hits rock bottom for me in this episode. Yeah, there's certain things you just look. Obviously, there's this patriarchal notion embedded here that Tony somehow has any ownership over Arena after the fact that they've split up. But the reality of the situation is that Tony is dangerous, predatory animal. And Zellman has done oh something very stupid for his own well-being. Yes. <laughs> well, look, the this is uh, I'm speaking about the code of the man, right? Yeah. When you sleep with your friend's ex-girlfriend, let's say, or his ex-wife, mm. you are taking a risk. You're taking a risk that you're ending the friendship. Okay. Mm. That's just yeah. on the surface. That's just is what it is. Yeah. If it's a really good friendship, yeah, it's been a lot of time has passed. Maybe you could talk to your friend as Zellman tries to do and, and put it right. Except when you're dealing with Tony or someone like Tony, the worst that can happen is not that you'll lose the friendship or in this case, a business relationship, right? The worst yeah. that can happen is he will kill you with extreme prejudice, mm. right? So I think at the end of this episode, Zellman gets off light. Mm. Yeah, well said. Um, it's not that I, I don't necessarily disagree 
I just want to offer a different reading with a different perspective. The Sopranos is a show that is quite often, as we've discussed, very surprising. And one of the ways that it's surprising, as it was in the last episode, is characters are not done in Shakespearean terms by, say, greed or jealousy or lust for revenge. They're undone by sentimentality. And that's what happens not to Zellman. Uh, Zellman pays for his crimes in some respect at the end. Uh, he's punished. Uh, Tony is undone by sentimentality mm. at the end and exposes sure. himself, exposes himself to trouble because he hears this fucking uh, fun song from the 60s. <laughs> right. sure. Insane. Insane. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on here. <laughs> Dr. Freed. Get these quick. We're going to get a lot of these quick little touchdown scenes just progressing the HUD scam that we've laid out already along. Freed has a funny line here Eat my dust, Donald Trump. Signs off, buys <laughs> these crummy houses, quote unquote. Then we get the scene with the FBI pressing aid at a, she's shopping for cards. And I really <laughs> like this line she gives when, uh, when the agent comes around the corner and says, why don't you go hunt a house or something? <laughs> Presumably Adriana is already down the road a bit with this half-baked getting married idea. Is she looking at cards possibly as formats for save the dates or something? Sure. And uh, San Severino found her there. Yeah, you, I love that line, Chris. Why don't you go hunt a house? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so... She's looking at this, and that's a good pull, Paul. And she also, it, it got her out from watching television. That's the thing is, on the surface, too, is this, the idea of an impending wedding is a, is a serotonin rush. It's the idea of like, oh, this is something exciting. To, everyone wants something to look forward to. Even something to, like, you know, Lily and I have a lovely day planned for where we're going out together tomorrow. We're going to go to the movies, whatever. Having little things to look forward to lifts you out of a funk. I have to do some things tonight that I'm not looking forward to, but I'm going to get through it because I have an awesome day planned tomorrow. That's how that all works. And, yeah, and so getting true. eight off the couch and looking at cards. Chris, 100%. Being able to think about the future is, yes. is a huge part of overcoming a, a depressive episode. Sure. Yep. Yep. So it's, uh, she asked about Chris's drug problem. He doesn't have a drug problem. And do me a favor. Stop asking about Chris like you give a shit how he is. So this is, she's being combative here, but then drops the, we're thinking of getting married, finally getting married as if that's the Trump card. Like that's going to be like, aha, as if she's going to go back to her FBI compatriots. And by the way, I love that they give us the scene of her going back to the FBI. Great scene. Great scene. But as if she's going to go back, like, oh no, guys, we got to, we got to figure this out. She's getting married again, watching too much television. That's not how it's going to play. Tony takes AJ on a little drive, <laughs> takes him to this church in Newark, the grandfather with the stonemate. We've heard this story from Tony before in season one, yep. the stonemason, grandfather, the old Italians. He gives this whole thing about the Italians when they first came over here. Did they look for a government handout? No, they, they built this on their own. We'll build our own church, a better one. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> AJ's responses here. I have to, on one hand, I get Tony's frustration because I, I too share a general frustration with aloof teenagers in the sense that they just are 
are annoying and sarcastic and glib and, and don't and come off like they don't give a shit about anything, even though I think it's mostly bullshit. But they, the whole thing, he says, we're talking talking about your history, AJ, for your family's history, Newark's history. He says, well, who gives a shit about Newark? <laughs> <laughs> Which is his first funny thing. And then uh, when Tony's talking about the building of the church and it's still standing, do you know why? AJ's response is the bricks. <laughs> that always gets me it's because our people give a shit that's why and all every sunday the italians all come back here from you know come back to the old neighborhood to go to services well how come we never do aj just has a fucking answer for everything he is not letting tony get by with any of this though that one's pretty astute yeah oh yeah tony is trying to give aj much of the same set of lines that he gave to meadow in the pilot yeah and it actually seems i don't know if this is deliberate just as in everybody hurts the last episode he was trying to cultivate this more positive image of himself here he's trying to cultivate it seems a more positive image of himself the business and their heritage he's trying to communicate something here to aj and um it's not quite getting through yeah Hey, this is advice on partner who is your father. <laughs> Tells AJ, buy land. God ain't making any more of it. He quotes Brian directly to him and takes him further into Newark. See those houses? I'm buying them. And AJ is like, what? This piece, he doesn't get it. What have I been telling you? He's trying to give AJ advice, buy land. Which if any entrepreneur out there has noble intentions, yes, go out and buy. Buy land. If you're buying land for the reason Tony and his crew are buying land, please don't. Right. What's such a hypocritical message? The land he's buying, he intends to what? Uh, own for exactly two seconds until he can make the profit off of it? Yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, AJ notices, quote, those black, that black dude's coming over. Guy comes up to the car, asks 5 Yeah, I'm Starsky and this is Hutch. <laughs> Tony says sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially offers to sell them drugs. Tony says, no, thank you. Just taking a look to the old neighborhood. No iron. If you ain't buying, it starts getting combative. I thought this was Tony's Tony's being sarcastic with him, talking shit, which is making AJ laugh. Uh, AJ's smiling smugly. He feels totally secure with his father's ability to handle this and uh, gets out of here. This This is our neighborhood. Now Tony says with heavy racist, racist undertones, yeah, I can see that as if to say, of course, you, this is your neighborhood now. Look how awful it is. So that's that's the subtext there with very gross uh, stuff. And uh, AJ's just chucking, chuckling while Tony's talking shit. Get out of here. They run him off. Tony pulls away and the woman throws the bottle of liquor at the car. AJ says, so that's a crack hoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, AJ. <laughs> He's he's being very true to himself, AJ. I'll, Come on, man, ease up, ease up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, rough scene, but uh, we're gonna come back to these houses in a moment. Cut to the FBI. They're having a scene that is. <laughs> these FBI scenes are always funny, but you end up hating them, don't you? I don't know. <laughs> I hated them. I'm trying to take like you know. What like intellectual notes and my note on this scene is they fucking suck, man. It's yeah. like 
<laughs> you know, they're they're such a drag. It's not even just in how they objectify these people that they're you know supposed to be studying or whatever. It's also just like the <laughs> the show just makes them incredibly doofy and unlikable, and also like simultaneously mean. Uh, you know, like uh, Harris gets something on his tie and he seems like more preoccupied that he got something on his tie than like, yeah, we're also casually ruining this person's life. Sure, she can get married, whatever. Uh, mm. You know, I, I don't know. It, they, it's it's amazing writing. I, I just I, their scenes are always like, oh, you you actually do the physical whenever I know I have an FBI scene. It's just starting. And I'm, I'm the viewer. Just imagine like my shoulders slump and I just go Ugh, these fucking people. <laughs> right. Every time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Every time they're, they're mocking Chris, uh, her, Adriana's and they're not wrong, by the way, but Adriana's taste in men. He's Chris Moltisani. He's a great catch. Tall, dark and sociopathic. <laughs> Big yucks. Yeah. Not even a good joke. He's not even fucking tall. Fuck you, people. <laughs> um, They don't know what Darwin said either. Darwin stuff isn't about Nimrods. It's about adaptability. Um, Neither here nor there. But uh, also, interestingly, and maybe a Sopranos kind of irony, Adriana thinks this is going to get them off their case, off her case. And here they're discussing whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And one of the possible prizes is that they get married. She's closer to Chris. She's closer to Tony. And Tony is the prize. So indeed, could it be that this gets them even more interested in her? Yeah. And I have to say, just on a personal level, I know, and this is where The Sopranos gets complicated because Agent Harris is my favorite of the FBI agents, if I had to pick one. And his line about Darwin there, when when the agent who was playing Danielle says something about AIDS woman troubles, that she may not be able to have kids, uh, I, I, I felt gross about it. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. terrible that he would say that. I don't know. It's it's not unfounded and I don't hate agent Harris for it, but it's like, I was like, a, that's disappointing to hear from my favorite of you. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, there's a little, Oh, it's a, it's a, maybe a faint parallel, but the way they objectify and talk about the people in the Soprano world, especially Adriana, as if they're not really people kind of reminds you of the whole scam that's being run between Maurice and Zellman and, and Ralphie and, and Tony. They don't care about the human toll of, of their work. Mm. Um, so to them to talk about these people in such a way, it, it doesn't make a difference, you know, because uh, yeah. they, they don't see them as, as people yet. You know, there's been other revelations that has broken down this barrier in past episodes, but not in this one. That's a great point. I hadn't thought of it like that. Remember later, I think when Zellman goes to see Maurice, he says, when you think about it, it's just one group of recidivists beating on another. I was like, ugh. Yeah. Oh my gross. God. God help us if we get to that point the way we're thinking about people, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very astute, guys. So moving on here, they toast to the happy couple. Ew. And then we get this HUD approval. Maurice is at the HUD office. And this one made me feel awful too, because this is the approval they're getting from HUD. She says, you know, you're getting houses on Garside Street. You got the you got your work cut out for you approves it. And it's not, a, it's not an accident that they cast a, a black woman here. There's this moment between them. They exchange the lines one day at a time, keep on keeping on. And there's this, it, it just those, that little exchange they have ex, 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 extends the idea that there's a, a built-in trust between them there. And this idea that they're doing, they're going to, he's going to, that Maurice is going to try to do the right thing and fulfill the nature of the nonprofit. 
And the fact that he's scamming that trust and, and using this for his own personal gain just makes you feel every time they touch down on this, you just feel worse about it. At least I do. Yeah. Is this the scene that had the left-handed check mark? There's a lot of forms in this scene, but at some point someone checks a form with their left hand instead of the right. And they do like the check mark in the wrong direction. Mm. Uh, I'm almost wondering if that's supposed to be like subversively like, yeah, it should go the other way, but not this time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, I don't know if that was this scene though. And I'm not going to look through my notes to see if that was the case, but at some point someone signs one of these forms with a, uh, a left direction check mark. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I see what you're doing. You're trying to say like, this is all, this is all fucked. Mm. Tony goes to Zellman's risky move, but Tony's like, I was in the neighborhood. He's got less to lose than Zellman does by being here. So crashes the place, sees the shoes right away there. He's going to talk. Uh, he's here to talk about something specific, but he sees the shoes, which ugh. Tony uh, is talking to him about the issue of that. He sent some guys there to start gutting the place. And one of the houses is a quote crack den. And Zellman's just like, all right, we'll get some of your people in there to clear it out. And Tony says, oh, wait, a bunch of white guys setting off caps in the ghetto. That's not going to raise any alarms mm. in a practical sense. He's right. But that's just an unfortunate, shitty <laughs> reality of the situation. Then Arena comes out. She's looking good. She's a few years older. There's, uh, since we've last seen her, she's speaking English a little better. Zalman says she's taking English as a second language. You sound great. Tony's a little doing his thing where he keeps his his distance. He doesn't seem to reveal tip his hand here, but he's there's definitely right, he's screaming inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's definitely feelings here, and. Uh, <laughs> So I could be off on this, but I wanted to run it by you guys. There's a couple of moments here and at the end where there's something, again, she's taking this class, English as second language, where in her, her accent, I think, comes into play. Um, Zeldin's first name is Ronald, and yeah. presumably friends maybe call him Ronnie. She yeah. also calls him Ronnie. With her accent, doesn't Ronnie sound a lot like tony and at the end i didn't know if she was saying ronnie or tony or both yeah (laughs) so well particularly paul in that last scene it almost for a second almost looks like she's gonna go run after tony rather than helping ron off the fucking floor so that's that's i think that intention is reading there too paul for sure Mm. yeah very good pickup paul so yeah she goes off to to make some egg salad and they keep talking (laughs) about this issue Ron essentially brushes it off. Uh, to him, this is small peanuts. He's like, yeah, look, look at the bright, look, you got to look at the big picture. We're, we're looking at a huge windfall here. And I love Tony's line here. That's why you're a politician, not a businessman. Maximum value is the big picture. There's got to be seven, $8,000 worth of copper piping in there. Tony's looking at every penny, that every last bit of money he can squeeze out of this thing. And Zellman's like, well, I don't know what you expect me to do about it. And Tony says, well, get the donut squad to go in there and rouse the ship bags. <laughs> Another well-worded line. And he says, they're crack addicts. They'll be back in an hour. And uh, so Tony uh, says, hey, you know, University of Michigan, you're a smart guy. Figure it out. Condescendingly. And after proposing to take the seven figures this is going to cost out of Ron's end, that's the convincing argument that's like well uh, all right all right all right well you can't take it out of my portion so <laughs> i'll we'll figure this out so tony leaves then this 
brutal scene. Brutal scene. Chris and Adriana having a glass of wine, watching TV. A just throws it out there. Let's get married. Whoa. <laughs> and given all these reasons, she wants to be with him. She doesn't want to wait anymore. They've been engaged for a while. Plus, a wife can't testify against her husband, she says. She might want to be a little more subtle than this, but Chris doesn't pick up on it. <laughs> and he warns her, you can't stay out all night at the club getting high when you have a kid. And then she takes a big sip of the wine. What if we didn't have kids? And Chris's answer is the last thing she wants to hear. Fuck that. What's the point of getting married? <laughs> Not without its laughs, because it is a great soprano scene. Uh, she describes that years ago she had a medical procedure. We know from her conversation with Danielle earlier this season, it was an abortion, but she just yep. describes it as a medical procedure and her uterus got pierced. Chris's reply, both of them. <laughs> Yikes. <Yeah. laughs> uh, <laughs> that's ovaries. She says there's only one. <laughs> By the time she gets this out, Chris is screaming at her. You knew you were damaged goods and you never fucking told me. And Aid is devastated by that. She tries to appeal to him. It breaks my heart that she lets him talk to her this way, but she's in love and she feels trapped. And I, I get I'm not judging her for it. I'm not I'm not sitting here like, girl, you shouldn't take that shit from him. You know, I, I, I get it. I get it. But it's just it's sad. It's always sad to me the way he talks to her when they have these situations and that she she puts up with it. But I get why she does. Um, she says we could adopt. And this is and Chris says, quote, yeah, great. Some kid with, quote, chinky eyes named Moltisanti. You get his ass kicked every day. <laughs> what a what a warm and uh, and feeling man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is pretty grimly funny. But yeah, the, uh, you you're you're right, Chris. The scene is pretty brutal. I, I hate when he says that to her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's awful. Uh, we we forget probably as often as Adriana forgets that Adriana is in an abusive relationship with Chris. That's mm -hmm. not a fully loving, functional relationship. That's a deeply dysfunctional relationship. And he is very <laughs> bad to her. Yeah. Often. We have seen him hit her, verbally abuse her, psychologically manipulate her, uh, you know, but she's totally trapped. Yeah. Also, and make the FBI characters even worse, they know the extent of this abuse in this relationship. Yeah. To the, to the show's credit, uh, Lily, who hasn't watched the last several episodes with me, sat down with me in the middle of this one, maybe 10 minutes before the scene started. And she watched the scene play out. And, you know, she's seen the show before. She gets it. She knows, she knows this. But she looked at me at one point after the scene and said, how... How and why is he my favorite character? I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, because you know this show is wonderfully lifelike, and uh, these people are really complicated, and they can be the most uh, hateful, awful people one minute and and very lovable the next, and and that is just you know part of life. In the same breath, I can say that their relationship is deeply dysfunctional and also deeply loving, and that is what makes it so troubling, right? Yeah, it says something to the effect of. You said you love me. That doesn't mean I'm going to fucking marry you. You said it didn't matter, if, you know, whatever. But he, he basically implies that they're not going to get married now and storms out rough. Chris does what I think, you know, a normal non-gangster guy would do in the situation. And that's go talks to his 
other men about this and, and, or his friends, uh, in this case, Tony, Sill, and Paulie in the back of the <laughs> Bing. And Tony and Sill have some surprisingly wise advice, in my opinion. I, I, I do laugh at Sill's line. You could have more kids than the Kennedys. You married to some twat. What good is it? <laughs> sure. And uh, they, they give him, I think, the right advice, which is, do you love this girl? Then come on. You'll make it work. Medicine these days. Like, come on. Have some hope. This is crazy. You're going to throw away life with a beautiful woman that you love over this. And look, there's a lot of people out there who struggle with, with various forms of having children and fertility issues and you want to believe that love should transcend things that are complicated about your partner. Right. And this is one of them. And I understand Chris has this idea that the Moltisanti name needs to go on and all that, but ultimately these guys are right. And then of course, Paulie has to chime in, uh, <laughs> stay single as long as you can. He gets an O kind of reaction. And uh, you want my opinion, our marriage and our thing don't, don't mix. Valid opinion. Uh, could be argued for. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. look, Syl and Tony are married. Are they in happy marriages? No. Well, I mean, they're happy in those marriages, but those marriages are deeply dysfunctional. They step outside them all the time. Yeah. And ultimately, if we're taking it just on an organizational level, the mob is a paramilitary organization. Uh, it's it's it, most of the complications in our show come from when Tony is trying to balance his home life and his mob life. Paulie's kind of right here, but also... Uh, let's be real. The mob life has always been about also having a mob wife and a mob girlfriend and also doing your mob shit. So it is yeah. bigger. Polly is being reductive, but there is a kernel of wisdom in there. Right. And, and, and not for nothing, but there is, it's easy to advocate for the virtues of marriage when you violate those virtues on a regular basis with no consequence. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those guys have essentially made marriages to keep a happy home, right? Yeah. That that's, that's what they've done, but they, how 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 much do they really value those marriages in terms of being I don't know faithful to their partners just to add up just the base level commitment you know mm. well yeah I mean is they it's easy to shit on Polly um and he's such a fucking miserable prick. um <laughs> but is he right but for like the wrong reasons like the yeah why shouldn't Adriana well, why shouldn't they get married because Adriana's life is a friggin misery with Chris. It's a deal with the devil as, and the devil always collects, asks Zellman how, mm -hmm. what it's like to be in partnership with these guys. Yeah. So they end the scene. You want to, she's stuck by you through that thing with your spleen. You want to end up like uncle junior or worse, Polly. <laughs> Very funny. They all kind of <laughs> Silvio laughing at Polly and uh, cut to Chris doing heroin in his Range Rover. Yeah. That's him thinking about it. Good job, Chris. Yep. Goes right from the Bing to shooting up in, in, in his truck, and uh, he pulls out, almost gets into an accident with the guy. And I have to say, uh, this 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 little snippet here explains a lot about driving around in New Jersey, if you've ever done it. <laughs> you know what? Long Island, too, for that matter. How about that? <laughs> a lot of people hopped up on something driving around, I think. And uh, Ron goes to Maurice's house. It's... <sighs> Yeah, I hate reducing people to their base appearance identities, but there's a reason we're seeing the outside of Maurice's house and not just the scene of in course. it. Yeah. This, this very lovely, 
pleasant, happy-looking, black, middle-class family coming out of this beautiful house on a quiet street that's well-manicured, going to their sports practices like any number of normal middle-class American family would. And that's meant to be contrasted with what we're going to see in a few minutes. The show very deliberately shows us where everyone lives in this episode. We mm-hmm. are very, very domestic in this episode on purpose. And, and, and you're not being reductive by pointing that out. The show wanted us to see it. The revolution got sold, Chris. But they have this conversation. Ron, ex- Ron explains what's going on with the crackheads and repeats the line, hey, we can't send whites in there, people of color. He wants Maurice, if this, if this whole thing wasn't disgusting enough, he wants Maurice to reach out through his gang out- outreach programs to recruit some kids to just go in there, wreck shit up, and get the crackheads out of the house. Yeah. And as Paul mentioned earlier, this, this, this great quote, and I don't mean great as in, oh, I love that. I mean great as in it was a great line uh, because it reveals a lot about what, what all this is about and what this looks like. But he says, from a policing standpoint, it's just one group of recidivists beating on another, meaning that if gangbangers go into a crack house and rough a bunch of people up and destroy a bunch of shit, who cares? That's the uh, that's the subtext there. Rough, rough stuff. Maurice doesn't want to do it. You didn't say anything. Nobody said anything about violence. Ron drops the same tactic Tony used. So we use the 7K. This is costing out of your end, which it always comes down to money and Maurice calls him on that and yet does it anyway, though. I just want to mention, stop trying to justify it, Ron. It's about the 7,000. And Ron's last line is the line. It's, let me tell you something, guys like Tony, you don't fool around with these people. As Ron, yeah, Ron, (laughs) Ron, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Ron. Is this the ult- is this the ultimate show of people not taking their own advice? Is this the ultimate drama series where that is the thing? I it think it be. must be. I think it is. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. Cut to Melfi. Uh, they had to address this. This doesn't have much to do with this exact episode on the surface, but Tony's talking, and Melfi changes the subject. We need to address your tirade, <laughs> your recent behavior in here. Tony defends himself. I was angry. You withheld information about a very sensitive subject. And she says, it's okay to feel angry, but when it manifests itself in physicality, it becomes unacceptable. You loomed, you smacked my tissue holder, and then I put it back. <laughs> Tony's coming up with these paltry excuses but he even he knows it's bullshit he says that yo hey listen i have been working on, i know it may not seem like much but i have been working on my anger i was showing my son the old neighborhood and we were accosted by these crack addicts and one of them had a gun another one threw a bottle at my car and it may not seem like much but i let it go i, I drove away and melfi drops this amazing line here that totally puts him amazing. right in his place. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I would ask in the future that you extend to me the same courtesy you would a crack addict. <laughs> oh, so good. So That's perfect. So and good. and James Gandolfini the way he plays that reaction. It's mm-hmm. it's just like he he has nothing. He has no argument for that. He has nothing. Uh, <laughs> and then he says, "Well, while we're being truthful here, 
I've been holding a grudge against you ever since uh, you sent my daughter to Wendy Cobbler. Quote, that stupid bitch almost sent my daughter to Barcelona. (laughs) This is very funny, darkly so. But then Tony says, you're right. It's no excuse. So even even Tony comes to realize this. But Melfi, I I do like that they address this because Melfi says we've been down this road before. This is not the first time Tony has loomed or threatened violence. And I'm glad they didn't just leave it in the past. And she says she didn't bring it up sooner because she felt Tony was in crisis dealing with the immediate aftermath of glories. I think she handles this very well. And I think it as clear as it can be to someone like Tony, she makes it very clear that this is not acceptable and she expects better of him. Yeah, it's nice. It's also nice to see that even as the show becomes occasionally more serialized, it often dips into segments where it is more serialized or, you know, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's nice that therapy almost seemingly has its own continuity. It does not always have to be hardwired into the exact episode that we're in. Therapy is is kind of, it's the through line of the whole series, right? So it's, mm. um, yeah, I, I realize I, I just misspoke. What I meant to say was that even when we have an episodic series uh, within the series itself, it's nice that therapy always has the through line. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I like this beat as well. It's brief. I think this is the only time Melfi appears in this episode. And... Now, for a little while, unlike in the past when therapy is maybe one step forward, one step back because of Tony's denial system, or in, like in season two when Melfi was having a lot of trouble with it, here it just seems kind of stalled out. The, the last episode, they, they were dealing with a lot of serious stuff. Tony wasn't really ready to fully connect with it, it seemed. And here she's just trying to get him to recognize this and he's still bringing up these old grievances and even he gets it that it's not quite enough but um what we're seeing in therapy is not it's not moving that's what it left me with Mm, i agree chris shows up back at uh, the apartment and adriana great job on the makeup artist by the way she looked like she'd been crying for days just really tired up all night probably just i love the way they made her look there dre de is doing some excellent work here by the way chris shuts off the tv on some level this is better than nothing but i also i i didn't i didn't feel like this is an acceptable apology here but he mentions hey you know i've been doing some thinking I'm not happy you lied to me, but I want to try and deal with it. <laughs> I, I also thought perhaps apologizing for the way he spoke to her might have been a nice touch, but be that as it may, these aren't the kind of guys to do that. So she says, I love you, Christopher, and and are, then leans in, they kiss, and then she looks at him, are you high? And he says, you got to start with that now, because <laughs> the answer is yes. Right. But he's fucked up. He just wants to make sure she wants to make sure it's for real. He says, it is real. I love you. And they come up with the idea that on on their anniversary, they're going to go to Vegas. Quick cut into the next scene. Karma's thrilled, but says, Vegas, look, you're married by some Elvis impersonator. We'll do it here at the house. And (laughs) yeah, we'll have Artie cater it and we'll decorate the whole house with mums, (laughs) which makes Lily and I laugh all every time. It's a great (laughs) line. And uh, yeah, and then they're. Uh, so they're going at it. Any thoughts on this development and Chris's returning to Adriana? No thoughts for me. Uh, this is, you know, pretty surface. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I am afraid for what their relationship will become when it becomes a marriage and not just an engagement. But, uh, 
you know, this is, she seems to have made her peace with that already. So just, you know, you, you hope the best for Adriana here, but with the looming FBI thing, I, I really don't know how it ends for this girl. And it uh, makes me nervous. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the loaded line is I just want to make sure that it's real. I mean, yeah. that's what we're dealing with in a lot of this episode. Um, what we project and what we're willing to conceive of. And of course, so many of Adriana's ideas here are half-baked and come from her watching too much TV. Yep. Cut from the exuberant screaming of these two women as the marriage is being discussed in the wedding and all these wonderful plans in this comfortable, beautiful McMansion in North Caldwell to the streets of downtown Newark and this car load of kids and Make no mistake, these are kids. These kids are 15, 16, 17, getting out of the car, locking back Uzis. The directive is clear. Just shoot the ceilings and shit. Quote, no 187s, meaning no bodies. Don't shoot anybody. And they're going to just go in and drive these folks out. Uh, This is a rough scene to watch. I don't know how much I have to say or narrate piece by piece, but this is a brutal scene. There's kids in there watching the crack smoking going on these people are living in absolute squalor this is this is a depressing awful state of affairs and a a condemnation of all of the problems we've been discussing up to this point and and how uh the city and the the, our systems and our society has completely failed everybody involved in this situation that are all just pawns Mm -hmm. in this game to make a bunch of people an extra seven thousand dollars right Tony brought AJ to the church to kind of say, well, look what our forebears made. They they made this, right? We've talked about in previous episodes, uh, as The Sopranos has addressed, you know, what does Tony's business actually produce? Uh, what do do-nothing politicians like Zellman or, um, you know, Maurice really do? What, what do they make? This is what they make. Mm-hmm. This is the actual product of their business, is, is this, mm-hmm. these conditions. Well said, it... You mentioned Chris early on. The guy says no 187s, no bodies, no killings. When I first watched this episode, I thought one of these stray bullets, the ricochet, was going to kill somebody. Like, nightmare scenario, bullet ricochets hits the little girl Mm. with the pigtails. And then you have the opening of, like, an episode of The Wire from season two. Here, it actually seems deliberate Sopranos-esque vibe that instead of ending in tragedy, this scene ends just in like utter devastation and humiliation. Mm. The kid gets his dick shot off. He's going to have to go see Dr. Freed. And then of course uh, the line with the homeless guy outside. Um, The reason I use that term humiliation is because of what also leads up to the end and Tony's humiliation of Zellman, I think is connected. Yeah, this is tough. There's no dignity for anybody in, in any of this scene. It's 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 just really hard to watch. It's hard to watch. This is a tough one. They do end with that, you know, the homeless guy given that line. It, it there's a there is a in the way it's delivered and shot, there is a twisted levity to it. I think the audience needs that before we transition into the next beat, but it's also still just awful. Yeah, I told you young people that crack is some bad shit. And then Again, we're we're I love these little touchdowns. We're in this room where the deal is getting solidified. Dr. Freed and Maurice are both there. They're finalizing everything in the sale. 
This might have been the scene with the check mark you were mentioning, Jordan. It's one of these, but right. It's it, I. There's a couple of these scenes. I'm not sure which one it was, but yeah. it's the idea that it's it's the process is going not as it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, this scene also it may it looks like it's at a, an old bank mm. or something. And Maurice and Doctor Freed they shake hands, congratulations. And on the wall behind them is this mural that looks like old school, maybe from the 1920s, Art Deco style. If anybody listening has been to 30 Rockefeller Center, they will have noticed this very similar Art Deco image of like the Atlas. And it's all workers' revolution art. It's coming from a time when communism was fairly popular for a lot of people. And this is indeed the imagery of the workers' collective, the workers' united, the international that would characterize the kind of revolution that Maurice and Zelman are talking about. And here in front of it, the revolution has been sold. Mm. Wow. Very good, Paul. Holy shit. It's blowing my mind. <laughs> I love that. Tony's downstairs with Brian in the basement. Got him a very expensive watch. I'm, does anyone remember the, the brand name? I'm forgetting the It's a uh, Immaterial. I know Lily and I looked it up, at the, and as of right it now, starts with a starts with a P or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that right? yeah, yeah. I'm not a luxury watch guy. I have no idea, but I, and yeah. I didn't write it down. But I remember Lily and I took a quick second to Google it uh, when we were watching it, and those watches go from anywhere from two twenty thousand to two hundred thousand dollars. They're they're expensive and ludicrous, and and uh, yeah, we just saw the cost of this watch, and Brian is a little. Oh, it's a it's a a Paydeck Philippe. Uh, Paytech Philippe Paddock, yeah. yeah, yeah, Paddock. I'm sorry, Paddock. Yeah, yeah. I don't know watches. I'm sorry. Yeah, so fifteen <laughs> at a time of fifteen thousand dollar watch that today would be worth probably triple that. Yeah, yep. So there you go. And we saw the co- the true cost of this watch uh, just a scene ago. Tony is giving it to him. You helped me out with that thing, and he's like, "You actually did it." I was just talking. He's Brian has to be careful what he says in front of this guy. But at the same time, Tony's cynicism cuts through. He's like, well, the American taxpayer. And Tony goes, the American taxpayer is paying for airport security. We see how that's going. Give me a fucking break. I don't know if this is intentional. <laughs> this could be just a Jordan Hugh reading on this. Um, a gift of a watch is very sinister and cynical in this episode to me because the watch is a gift that you're supposed to receive as a working man at the end of your career that represents your time served Mm. to the company. Right. And Mm. Brian just kind of getting this frivolous thing. Oh yeah. I bought you this insanely expensive watch that's supposed to symbolize a man's entire career to me just kind of cheapens the experience of being an American worker as if to say these guys get around that and shit all over it. I don't know if Chase intended that here, but I, I took that reading from it of just being like this whole episode is just like, how bad are you all getting fucked? I like that. I do too. A lot. That's fucking awesome. Good job, Jordan. You guys are blowing my my nuts off today. Chris, I told you young people. (laughs) Yeah, it's that too. It's also, I really like the actor that plays Brian Camerata. Um, You know, he's playing the fish out of water thing really well. He's playing the straight laced kid really well. Yeah, again, he's perfect Um, for this. And he is playing fully that that script page so well if he knows that the gift of the watch is wrong right he feels that what they did was wrong he feels like he's being rewarded for the wrong reason that it was actually a very bad thing that he did or that they did on you know his his advice mm-hmm. um he knows that the watch is too expensive to give as a casual gift it's in fact so expensive 
I would feel uncomfortable receiving such a gift, right? It's it's too much money. Yeah. Um, and then also he then has to cover it up by borrowing, I think, a, a drill or something. Yeah. Right. To to just even hide the fact that he got this thing. So, yeah, he's aware of the corruption that he's now a part of and he has to hide it. Mm hmm. And while this is going on upstairs, Furio, Carmela invites him in looking very pretty. Carmela looks very nice here. Uh, this light flowery, it stands out amidst the gray, gloomy, rainy, uh, rundown, rotted atmosphere of this episode. Carmela has this like blue and pink, bright thing. She greets Furio and in Furio, just I'm going to wait in the car. He makes up this bullshit excuse about keeping his foot on the gas pedal. And when she she takes it and he goes back to the car, but when she shuts that door, there's a lingering shot on her. There's a, it's, it's easy to miss this stuff if you're not watching for it very closely the way we're watching it. But I, I wrote that she, she looks gutted by losing those few minutes with Furio. She really looks hurt by him not coming in. It's not just like, a, oh, what's wrong with him? She looks legitimately like almost sick to her stomach. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, want it, I want him here for just a few minutes. Right. I don't know the episodes. I don't know how that plot between them resolves. I have no idea. Um, so when I say this, it's, it's totally genuine. I almost read the scene like, oh, is she picking up on that? Maybe he's starting to, to decide that he has to move away from this attraction totally. Mm. Uh, and in my mind, I could even extrapolate a plot where Furio is like, I have to go back to Italy. I can't do this because if I end up having sex with Tony's wife, it's going to be the end of my whole life, you know? Mm. So I, I don't know how that resolves, but I thought maybe that could be the beginnings of that. Or I don't, I don't know. Obviously, yeah. the more interesting thing would be if there was more push and pull. But uh, I could I, I saw the same thing, Chris. I saw the, the gloominess that she felt with not having him there. But also I saw the pain on his face of being like, I cannot pursue this. Mm -hmm. Carmela's life, though, more dynamic in many ways than Adriana's is also very ensconced. It's limited. I do think that there's a lot to those few minutes every day with Furio. Yeah, because there's not much else. And to that point, it's only driven home her discomfort and, and increasing dis, dissatisfaction with everything going on with Tony and at home. When Brian comes up with the drill, she sees through that in a second. Oh yeah. I'm sinking a mirror for my wall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And yeah, she, 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 you can just see it on her face. Like what, what are he and Tony up to? She, she sees through the bullshit and it's, it's like, again, just another reminder of what it is. She feels so trapped in at this time that her cousin who this this upstanding financial advisor is down in the basement borrowing a drill. So next scene, Paulie is having a lovely lunch with Johnny Sack <laughs> down in Brooklyn that I don't know exactly what restaurant that is, but it's beautifully positioned right underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, of course, just far enough away from Jersey that he's probably safe having this lunch here from being spotted mm -hmm. by any Jersey people anyway. And uh, Johnny is, uh, he's having, how's your, how's your moose? <laughs> Paul's just scooping this moose out of the cup and he's ranting and raving about, uh, he, again, this dissatisfaction. He's mad that nobody came to visit him. Johnny Sack gives him that, well, you know, it's a, you look at anybody the wrong way. It's a criminal conspiracy. They can't visit. He so he can't call you fucking did. So Paulie's dissatisfaction keeps manifesting itself he's visiting johnny right but why was johnny calling paul you know exactly yes come on paulie why was he calling he wasn't calling because he's your friend uh-huh then paulie drops it well first of all he gives this amazing line when do i ever complain 
Uh, how about <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's the only thing your character does? Yeah. How about always in between bouts of insane violence or ridiculous comedic lines? <laughs> he calls Zellman a Christ killer in this episode. This guy doesn't let things go. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he really doesn't. That's funny. <laughs> and uh, he does drop this crucial bit of information, the scammies uh, that Ralph and Ralph and Zellman, that Christ killer Zellman are running. Johnny mentions the thing that they already caught on to a few episodes ago, the houses on Freeland Heisen and Avenue. And then Paulie says, no, 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 this new thing. Right. They got going, which you can see Johnny. There's a shift in Johnny like, uh oh. So the, the don't forget in the episode, no show, Tony agreed that Carmine's position was we share Zellman. So right. you have to share the, the Zellman thing there right. because of information Paulie was leaking to Johnny. And now he just slipped this new HUD scheme. So this is potentially bad news depending on what Johnny decides to do with this information. Is he going to go back to Carmine? Is he going to approach Tony? Is he going to sit on it? I don't know, but knowledge is power. And Paulie just spilled the beans. All I know is they're going around bragging about how much they're making. Hey, Johnny, this stuff, I tell you, this doesn't leave the table. And uh, (laughs) notice Johnny very cleverly. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't say, of course not. It's not like he's lying. I'm offended you would even ask. Yeah, which is actually way more badass because it's like, of course, it's leaving the table, you fucking idiot. <laughs> John, Johnny Sack is badass, though. I, oh, I, yes. he is. Johnny Sack is. If I had to make a, like a list of like the three most believable gangsters in the show, Johnny Sack would be on that list, along with like Tony and maybe like Pauly or something, because because mm-hmm. he, he's just he's just got that. He feels like a high level mob boss, and he really has a certain savvy he, to him. He does and that actor is terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vince Curatola really dominant. Feels really very, awesome. very believable. And the one time that there's a serious problem in the world of Johnny Sack, he takes it to the end. He hires the assassin to kill Ralph. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's really dangerous. Yep, yep. Cut to Newark. Zellman is in the area doing some kind of meeting and talking with his assistant, setting something up. <sighs> Sees Tony suburban drive by, walks over to the house. They're cleaning it out. Vito's there with his construction crew. They're taking out all the pipes. Tony's making sure he gets every nut, bolt, wall sconces, everything. Just get every piece of metal out there. That mm-hmm. shit. That shit goes for top dollar in nicer neighborhoods. I forget exactly which which area he mentioned, but uh, just uh, just rough. Just just pulling from. This is like some reverse Robin Hood shit. He's he's stealing from the poor to sell to the rich. <laughs> it's 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 just really awful and zellman comes up they they essentially share a uh, last handshake you're going to be at the bing tomorrow i don't know yet great coffee handshake see you later tony leaves and this awful devastating moment uh this little kid comes up is there going to be a nice house here now zellman has nothing to say to him looks him right in the eye and the kid has this look about him like you know, this is a this is a kid in in this part of Newark. He's got to have a, a, sadly because he's what seven, eight, nine, at most. There's a certain streetwise to this kid. He 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 gets like a almost a cynical look in his eye, like oh, I know what you're doing. And leave. well, that kid is who Zelman is supposed to be working for. Yeah, that kid's his boss. Mm-hmm. You know that's yeah. that's what it's all about. To give him some credit, even though he doesn't necessarily deserve it, 
you can see that Zellman feels it. It's not going to affect anything. The scam is pulled. He's going to take the money. He's going to keep uh, conceivably being corrupt and, and, and doing this. But there is he's going to talk about it with Maurice in a second. Something eats at him about this, as it should. So but this is a tough moment. Uh, I was we were talking about this uh, in our in our little text thread a few days ago after we watched the episodes. And uh, Jordan Jordan wrote uh, an American eulogy when we talked about this scene. And I said, oh, that's a brutal way to put it. But yeah, that's tough. Aid is dress shopping and talking with uh, this friend of hers. They're getting a, she's getting her dress. She looks great. They're just talking about married life. And plus a husband can't, a wife can't testify against her husband. She drops it again, looking so happy. And this, and, and of course this friend mentions a, an episode of murder. She wrote again, <laughs> right, pulled right from the television. They did a whole murder. She wrote on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where this wife thought she couldn't testify against her husband, but legally she could. And she turns back to the mirror and you can just see the life, the joy, everything about everything that she's excited about for this marriage just gets sucked out of her. And she goes to where she should have gone in the first place, which is a fucking lawyer's office. She should have done this when the FBI first grabbed her, by the way. But okay, Sarah, Sarah, it's whatever will be, will be. She goes to this lawyer. She's got the fire department hat on. She's looking different, clandestine. Like she, you know, she, she went in and she didn't want to be spotted. And this lawyer breaks it down. He's given her the terms, the way marital privilege works. You can't, and nothing, nothing said before the marriage counts. It has to be the presence of a third party negates it. And it can't be in furtherance of a crime. And she just, give me the bottom line. Can they make me testify or not? And his answer is Major Rico, probably. Yeah, there's nothing they won't throw at, at this case to get what they want. And that's not what she wants to hear. But- it's the reality. This this is this is not a television show. This is well, it is that's the meta irony is that it is a television show, but this is a good television show. And the lawyer is telling her how it's actually gonna be. And uh that's it. She's all her joy and expectation is slapped right back in her face. Back in the Bing, they're doing the payouts, Ralphie's there. And uh, he has this awful line delivered in the way that only Ralphie could. There's a lot more where this came from. There's a lot of families need affordable housing in Newark. Strolls out of there. Ron seems a little distracted. Maurice asks him about it. That's good. I'm tired. And uh, they get out of this office and they have this very interesting conversation. You ever feel bad about any of this? (laughs) They talk about the, they have this conversation. We were going to lead a revolution. The revolution got sold. I feel like I should be punished. Mm, yeah, me too, Ron. <laughs> and uh, it's just the sad state of affairs. It's like shoving shit against the tide. These two guys at one point maybe meant well. What's interesting too about this is this is not like you would see, uh, again, comparing to television. This is not like some corrupt politician character you would see on TV that's like, that knows he's a total shit heel and laughs about it and just totally unabashedly is corrupt. There's such a level of removal from the reality of their consequences of the consequences of what they're doing that it wasn't until he was confronted by it with this kid that he had to actually think about it for a second. And these guys came out of college with all these hopes and dreams, and they probably thought they were going to change the world together. And he get Maurice gets a sign. What are we supposed to be? The only honest men. 
rough stuff. It's a cynical look at, at the state of affairs, but I think unfortunately it's an honest look at things. This is probably much how it is. It's like I think a lot of people may get into politics with good intentions and getting anything done feels like it is impossible. Sometimes these guys just said, well, if this is going to suck our, our hopes and our energy and our, and our optimism away, what the fuck, if it's not us, it's going to be somebody let's get something out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's pitch black. I mean, the cynicism is pitch black. It's um, the, the shame of it is, is that as you said, Chris, uh, it doesn't have to be Zelman and Maurice. This could be the story of any two politicians you get in, probably just out of college, uh, very passionate about, uh, you know, one of your topics. It could be, you know, it could be anything. You got into it to improve uh, housing. You got into it to improve uh, you know, fair wages for everyone. You got into it to uh, improve race relations, anything. And then the, it, it's as if to say our system is so corrupt, corrupt that it eventually corrupts everybody until no one believes they can do any good work um, and that they might as well get theirs. Uh, I mean, it's 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 the most deeply cynical look at American politics that you can have. It it speaks to people feeling like their votes don't matter and their voice doesn't matter because their elected officials in our representative democracy uh, will not actually represent their interests. They're only going to represent uh, corporate interests, interests that make them money. Ultimately, this episode makes me so angry because the little glimpse that we get at to how the politics in this particular part of Jersey work uh, is probably how it all works in, in you know, everywhere in the country, that, that maybe there are no honest men, that there are no honest politicians, that everyone really just is in it for themselves because they can't even try or once they try they are diverted or they're assassinated right that that there there can be no real effect of positive change because the system doesn't exist to govern the system only exists to defraud and then it's hard to even hold people like tony and ralphie accountable because they're almost supposed to be the answer to that system except their interests are also self-serving so at the end of the day, the people that get fucked are us, but most directly in this episode, the child that watches as people around them are being shot, the child that watches as the dilapidated crack den in their area is made even worse by having the piping stripped out of it. It is a pitch black episode and an amazing indictment of a dysfunctional American system that does not seem to have gotten any better in 20 years. Paul, anything? No, that should stand on its own. The cynicism keeps on rolling. It's again pitch black, but you gotta take a cynical chuckle or you'll go crazy. Tony raising a toast. Here's something I thought I'd never say to the federal government. <laughs> Clinking glasses, taking a sip. Depends on which department. They share a laugh, take a sip. We're cutting to this miserable bridal shower. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is life. This is life now. It's it's uh, just this is what Adriana is being served, an empty platter. It's a, a tacky plate with nothing on it. It's it, <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I would have been a little more excited for that Quasinar. Come on. I actually Come agree. Uh, I, yeah, I yeah. would love that appliance. Come on. I would love, yeah. as a single man. I'm saying that. Give me that Quasinar. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, she gets a, a cappuccino machine. Uh I love the little moment there. It's so stupid and eye rolling to me, but like, it, it's of course like, 
you know, when she goes to cut the ribbon, oh, no scissors, bad luck. <laughs> right. That's Rosalie. I'm Rosalie. Saying, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you would know all about bad luck, wouldn't you, Rosalie? Oh, <laughs> come on. God. Perfect decision to have her deliver the line. Ooh, yes. No. Yeah. Bad luck. <laughs> I'm still thinking about at the pub shops. Just think about the what? Ultimate line delivery. <laughs> the fuck at the blowjob delivery line oh, yeah. from the, the oh, forever ago at this oh, point. Yeah, yeah. Like, every time I see jobs. that, every time I see that actress now at the blowjobs. <laughs> uh, yep. So Adriana is just so removed from it. She's not having a good time here. Uh, the house is lovely. It's abundant. It's a lot of gifts and, and joy and, uh, uh, Drea is like a, a ghost in this room. She's just not there. She's, she's... It's a very sad, cynical scene, right? Just all the joy is ashes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cut to the last uh, last beat here. Uh, <laughs> Tony driving around in the car. <laughs> oh my God, this episode. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> but also like, I, all right, before we actually talk about what happens, I do want to mention that the acting here is out of control. Gandolfini, it's very, 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 very good. Gandolfini slaughters this. This is not easy to do. The range he goes in in these 25 seconds, 40 seconds of episode where he's just sitting in the car, singing along, the crying. You see like the sentimentality, the decision, the choice to turn the car around. And then Tony at the house, in my opinion, even though he doesn't do the worst possible outcome doesn't come to pass. This is Tony at his most frightening to me. When, that moment when Ron says to him, you want to calm down? We'll talk about this. And Tony's response, perfectly calm. Taking off his belt. Terrifying. Tony at his most terrifying. Sure. Also, it's a very biblical punishment. Lashes. Mm. Right. Is this the absolution that Ron Zellman craved? I wonder. Tony doesn't beat him with his fist. I think it's very deliberate. I also I recognize beating someone with a belt is very emasculating, and I'm sure that is predominantly what they were going for. But the biblical judgment that comes down on someone who is essentially like uh, a, a corrupt politician just feels very biblical to me. Like you're getting punished for the wrong reason, but you're getting biblical lashes. Mm. Yeah. And Sopranos is king of that, giving somebody the proper punishment for the incorrect reason. And he just he lights him up. You can see the welts on his skin. He's screaming, Tony, Tony. Yeah, that guy's not getting up for a while. No, no, it's rough and it's hard to watch. And uh, Tony says all the girls in New Jersey, he finally comes out with it. This has been boiling in him since Ron said it. You can tell it. And all the girls in Jersey had to fuck this one. Ron just kind of collapses after the beating stops. And Tony says, yeah, go ahead. Cry like a bitch, which, by the way, is rich coming from the guy who was just sobbing in the car to a song. (laughs) But again, uh, hypocrisy is no stranger on this show. Walks out, touches Arena's face and just leaves, arrives, whips the shit out of him and leaves. We have to talk about the range of emotions that are in Irina in yeah. this scene as well. There's a lot to read there, right? Yeah. I have so many questions. This is an amazing scene. I mean, this is this is why you watch this show is for like this kind of explosion, yeah. right? You're just almost waiting for like, it's like waiting for a car accident, you know, watching the Daytona 500 or whatever the hell, right? It's mm. like, okay, this man's being whipped on the ground like an animal. Oh my God. Uh, 
Irina should be screaming, crying. Tony, get out of here. What are you doing? You animal, leave him alone. I love him. I don't know, something. But there's this look to Tony. I, I don't know. There's a lot going on. I'm reading all kinds of colors here, right? Mm. There's one shock, the shock of what she's seeing. Oh my God, I can't believe what's happening right now. There's also, is it kind of an admiration or something? I don't know. She's almost looking at him as if she's impressed or in some ways vindicated that he really loved me all along. Uh, I don't know. We already talked about this moment with Paul a moment ago where Ronnie sounds a little bit like Tony and you're not really sure which direction she's going in at the end of this scene. Mm. Half of me truly believe that rather than check at the check on the injured lover of hers on the floor, that she might run after Tony to have a moment with him. It was incredible. Yeah. What an incredible pastiche of emotional vocabulary that is all happening in that moment on her face yeah, in her body language. Thank you for pointing that out. She does a great job. And I just want to remind everybody, I don't think this woman acted in much before this show. So yeah, she just does really well with a complicated moment. And this script is fucking fire in this episode to begin with. Correct. Yeah. They all do great work in this scene. And uh, yeah, in terms of her, like this, some reigniting of feelings with Tony, try like bringing this up with Tony in two weeks. Right. <laughs> anybody he won't want to talk about it he's not he doesn't want to see her you're right um th- it's just all it's all an unforced error and i do want to put a pin in the guy getting beaten up rightly with as jordan point astutely pointed out this biblical punishment for the wrong reasons and do not forget that the wrong reasons can come back and with that we've reached the end of watching too much television any final thoughts codas addendums My final thoughts are very short because I feel like I really dug into what I wanted to say in this episode already Mm -hmm. in terms of addressing what's going on politically in this episode. But I will say that I think The Sopranos, because it's a show about people that exist on the fringes of our society, whether that's organized crime or being a member of a, a vulnerable community, it's uniquely positioned to talk about these things in a way that is not like the common narrative of Uh, just the the dreck that we get from our own media. So it's interesting that this piece of art, this series, The Sopranos, is able to give such a keen indictment of the things in our uh, country that just don't work, whether these are malefactors or uh, just corrupt, miserable systems. Uh, It it feels really keen in this episode. And uh, some might be like maybe... uh, unpleasantly surprised that we kind of like stop other plots to zoom in on this. But for, you know, not the first time, it feels really important and really at home in the show. Mm. Well said. And I agree. I think, as I mentioned at the top, I love the political and social import of the story and what we're talking about here. I think politics is fundamentally about how we respond to consciousness. It's not this party or that. It's not left, right. And how these characters respond to their own consciousness is fundamentally self-serving, which means that all of the presentation that they do and all of the gestures that they make to serving a community are either compromised or outright false. And they don't serve the community. They rob and bleed the community for their own benefit. And that, that fundamental reckoning with it, I think is what's been happening in this episode. Guys, excellently said. I I don't need to go too much deeper than that without beating a dead horse. I think we've made the point. The show certainly did. If, uh, you know, this is one of those episodes I'd leave it every time feeling a little nauseous, a little sick, a little uneasy, vastly entertained, of course, but doesn't make you feel good about a lot of things in the world, in our 
country and our society. And then on top of it, the characters are making decisions that are selfish and wrong and awful and destructive. And, you know, we want to leave on this note of actions have unforeseen consequences. Sometimes those are direct. Sometimes those are indirect. Sometimes those come in many forms, but I suspect given the placement of this episode in, in season four, that there are going to be far reaching consequences of the events of this episode well into the future. And so we want to keep this one in mind going forward. And that's it for me. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time for mergers and acquisitions. Eat my dust, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs>